This is Understand South Carolina, a news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. South Carolina's largest university is again on the search for a new leader. After now former University of South Carolina President Bob Caslin admitted to lifting lines of a speech that he gave at the university's commencement without attributing them, the retired three-star general resigned, marking the end of his two-year tenure. Now that departure was controversial, but so was Caslin's hiring. And now, with a new presidential search ahead for the university, some critics are calling for more transparency this time around. This week, Columbia-based reporter Jessica Holdman and managing editor Andy Shane broke down what led to Caslin's resignation, what was learned from the last presidential search, and what's next for the university. My name is Jessica Holtman, and I am a reporter in the Columbia Bureau of the Post and Courier. And I am Andy Shane. I am the managing editor of the Columbia Bureau for the Post and Courier. So let's start by going back to early May at the University of South Carolina's on-campus graduation ceremony. Kind of set the scene for us. When did President Caslin speak and what did he speak about? Well, I was actually present at the graduation. I am friends with uh, one of the graduates and was sitting towards the back of the stadium whenever the ceremony started. It, It was a long evening. You had about three schools of students graduating that evening He bumped fists with every single student that walked across the stage. The speech in question actually happened later in the evening. Most of the stadium was emptied out at this point. A lot of the graduates had received their honors and had uh, had taken off for the evening. And he was introducing the Alumni Association when uh, a slip of the tongue led him to refer to the graduates as the most recent alumni of the University of California. It's now my honor and privilege to officially congratulate you congratulate you as the newest alumni from the University of California. Which has a little bit of a connotation for USC as they uh, battle over the USC acronym. And of course, a different issue with a speech that he made kind of came out a little bit later when people realized. So what was what was that and, and what had he said in that speech? Being a military man himself, Bob Caslin had admiration for, I guess, another former military man who had made a famous commencement speech. This man was one of the Navy SEALs that had uh, taken down Osama bin Laden. This is a pretty famous commencement speech, pretty recognizable. And He used some lines from the speech, but uh, did not credit it to its original speaker. And this also happened in pretty close proximity to the earlier slip up when he misnamed the school. Know that life is not fair. And if you're like me, you'll fail often. But if you take some risks, step up when times are toughest, face down the cowardly bullies and lift up the downtrodden and never, never give up. If you do those things, the next generation, the generations to follow, will live in a world far better than the one we have today. And what started here today will indeed change the world for the better. Most of the initial fallout was from the the earlier slip up. And probably the next day, 
uh, on social media, it started to circulate more that he had also used a part of someone else's speech. When it came out that he had used this this part of uh, another speech and really had been accused of plagiarism, what was that initial reaction? What were politicians saying? What were trustees saying? The reaction both initially to the University of California comment and then and then to the next day when when the plagiarism accusations came out, there there was from from the public and from sort of anybody who had felt that uh, maybe he wasn't the appropriate choice to be president. Uh, they came out knives out. I mean, this was just proof to them that that they felt he couldn't do the job or wasn't the right man for the job. You know, the first the first the the, the sort of the name flub. They just sort of said this is just basic stuff when you're a president, you don't do this. The plagiarism issue, of course, was was as you all had discussed, is was was a bigger one because you know what would happen to a student if they were caught plagiarizing. Uh, like this. Now, initially, the trustees basically backed Caslin. And what I mean is they didn't really come out and say everything's okay. But apparently over the weekend, Caslin offered to resign, you know, basically said, look, if I've lost the faith of the board, I'm willing to resign. He was told that's not the case at the moment. Sit tight. I think there was a thought that basically they couldn't probably ride this out. Caslin did an interview with a television station, said it was more or less was unintentional. He just neglected to do it. He has a book of quotes, apparently, that he uses in a speech, normally cites where they came from, just neglected to do it this time. There was calls from other board members to have a meeting. Let's talk about what we need to do next. Um, you know, this happened over the weekend. And by midweek, the drumbeat had uh, probably even grown louder about uh, wondering why was he still there? Why wasn't any action being taken by the board? And on that Wednesday night, uh, he and uh, the board chairman, Dorn Smith, had a sort of a regular call that they usually had, that they usually did to check in to see how things were. And during that call, Bob Caslin uh, offered his resignation. And this time, Dorn Smith, the board chairman, accepted it. I'd like to talk about this. We have to go back to his initial hiring, which was controversial. Why why was that controversial? Bob Caslin is not a traditional academic. He is a, was a four-decade Army veteran. He had risen to be a three-star general and um, and then spent his last five years in the Army as superintendent of West Point. That and, and a few other years as, num- as the number two at West Point amounted to what his academic experience was. He had a, a, a fairly um, significant military career, but people felt like he didn't really have the academic um, bona fides that normally you would have with uh, someone especially running a large uh, flagship university like the University of South Carolina. He didn't have a doctorate. He didn't have a, you know, sort of a, a history of doing research. And there was a, a fear of among some students and some faculty members who just didn't understand how a, a college worked. You know, he understood, of course, how other things worked. And the president's job these days is really doing the other things. It's going out and talking to donors. It's convincing lawmakers to give you money. It's, um, you know, it's it's helping even recruit football coaches and basketball coaches. It's all of those things that, that you do that, that are in addition to making sure that you have a music program and uh, and your labs are up to, up to snuff and you're getting research money. There was a, a grave concern when when he became the favorite to replace Harris Pastides in 2019 that he just didn't have the the, the, the right amount of experience and the, and the right amount of, and the right skills to do the job. Uh, and the thought with bringing Bob Caslin in was that here was someone who wasn't as embedded in the academic world. He could make some hard choices that were going to need to be made. Uh, there was a lot of spending going on at the university and, and concerns that maybe there was too much debt. And so here was someone who could look at the look at the, uh, look at at the the dollars and cents and look at, and make decisions without the idea of saying, I used to do that, you know, that kind of. And then what happened was 
because of the controversy about him, when they first voted among the four finalists, they didn't vote for anybody. And they chose to reopen the search. Protests, more or less, that came from uh, some some people in state government, most notably uh, from Governor Henry McMaster, who thought uh, General Caslin had been not treated very fairly. He thought he should at least get a vote. He lobbied uh, the trustees to at least have a vote on Caslin himself because he was clearly the the, the favorite candidate of the group that they brought in. He was the only he was the only candidate who had presidential experience and running a college. The rest of them had were more along the lines of uh, high or, or mid level uh, administrators. So you know, under that backdrop, the board voted again, and they normally vote unanimously. Uh, what they do is it's almost like a jury. They go in, they have their deliberations, and even if there's one or two holdouts. At some point, they come back unanimous. This time, they didn't. It was an 11-8 vote. It was a very divided board. I'd never seen it. I've covered the university for a decade. Never seen anything like it. Uh, some people were unhappy with Caslin. Some trustees were more unhappy with just the process, the idea that they thought they were reopening the search. They didn't. The governor sort of had his say. As a quick, another quick aside, the governor is a board member of the university, though he does not attend the meetings. He appoints a designee. There were protests outside as Bob Caslin was named the new president. This happened also during the summer when the students weren't here. So there was also a lot of people upset that they kind of were doing this when, you know, when a lot of the campus is empty. So, you know, this is how he came in. He obviously uh, sort of had a little bit of a of a hole to, to get out of. Right. So kind of came in amid controversy, obviously resigned amid some controversy. What was the opinion of him kind of right before this happened, the university and every university had to deal with COVID-19. He had actually won a lot of praise lately for his handling of COVID-19 from Harris Pastides, the past president himself, had congratulated him on how well he had done. USC was among the first, uh, actually, I believe they were the first college campus in the state uh, to make the decision to send students home this spring when when the disease first came to the state. Minus uh, a spike in cases when students first came back, he implemented a testing program. He really got it under control after those first few weeks and was praised by the board and quite a few people for those efforts. Were there any particularly rocky points in in his tenure? So that was one of those those strong points, something that he was praised for, his handling of COVID-19. Other than his hiring itself, were there were there any points of tension during his during his presidential tenure? There was. There were there were there were several. I, the mo- I would say one of the more notable one ones was soon after he came in in 2019. Will Muschamp was struggling as the the head football coach for the University of South Carolina, and there already was beginning to be talk about was he the you know, was he going to be replaced, especially with a new president? There had been a couple of high-profile buyouts of coaches, and he admitted during an interview with a newspaper's editorial board that uh, that, that they'd apparently asked about one of the other college's efforts to try to buy out the coach. Needless to say, that that did not bode well for his relationship with Will Muschamp, was kind of a, uh, obviously sort of let out the idea that, that they were kind of already looking ahead uh, to the next coach. You know, he sort of had to backtrack those comments. He never really was able to repair his relationship with Will Muschamp, um, as our understanding. And of course, as we all know, the next, the following season, uh, Will Muschamp was fired and they hired Shane Beamer. You know, that, that was kind of a main thing. He, you know, he had a couple of others, uh, you know, there, there were going to be some people who were going to wonder about how he reacted to uh, word that there were a number of sexual assault and sexual harassment complaints that had not gone addressed properly 
uh, at the university had then ended up landing in the courts because essentially if you you try first through the university through the Title IX program, if that doesn't work, then you then you uh, if you feel like uh, you you have a, a still have your complaint still valid, you take it to the courts. And so there were some you know some some professors who were accused of some some obviously some, some pretty heinous things, and they were still working or they were, you know, still, you know, maybe they weren't allowed to teach, but they were still on the payroll. And so there's a lot of question about how he was handling that. But, you know, that said, he promised to, to bring in a more diverse administration. He did that by hiring the first black provost uh, in school history. He also got the faculty their first raise in well over a decade, raised sort of outside of the, the state pay, the normal state pay raises. So he tried his best to kind of, you know, as as he was going through and 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 kind of and and kind of making some of these mistakes, also was was trying to uh, you know win over some of the stakeholders who had felt um, maybe neglected in the past uh, in past administrations. Hi, I'm Jamie Lovegrove, a statewide political reporter for the Post and Courier. Working for the paper, I focus on journalism that makes a difference and has an impact. Our stories look not only at events happening in our state house, but they also take a look at how those decisions influence and impact the lives of our readers. To support our work and to learn more, you can visit our website at thepostandcourier.com slash subscribe. So, of course, like you said, when he did resign, it was really immediate. So what happened after that? Who is at the helm of the university in the interim? Fortunately for the board, uh, past president Harris Pestes was still working on campus in a consulting role. He was able to step in and fill those shoes uh, as the interim president. He has said at this point that he wants to make sure that this is a temporary position, uh, not permanent for him. He has said he expects to be around for about a year as uh, the presidential search goes uh, goes through all the necessary channels. Right. So, of course, with, with that being a temporary role, they have to initiate a new search process again, which, as we discussed last time, was a controversial process. So how are they approaching this this time around, has the search process actually started at this point? It has. They've started a national search. And unlike their other search where Harris Pestides announced his um, retirement sort of late in the fall and the and the search didn't really start until seemingly Thanksgiving, Christmas, this time they're starting uh, the cycle earlier. You know, obviously it wasn't planned, but but it is at least there. And again, having having Harris Pestides in your president's office, someone who's been there for 11 years, means you you have the time to do this. You don't need to, they don't need to rush. The lessons from last time that they they've they've took was that because of what happened with Governor McMaster being involved, they had basically had their uh, wrists slapped by their accreditors, and the creditors said, "You need to." update your uh, bylaws for the trustees to make sure that they understand uh, the role that they're supposed to play as trustees in general, but especially in the pre- in a presidential search. So they reconstituted uh, the, the committee that uh, that will, will look search for a new president. Uh, essentially, the search committee, uh, by the way, will give them no less than three finalists. And also uh, added in, most importantly, rules about uh, undue influence from, that, um, from external forces or political forces, as, as it were. You know, really what it boils down to is if somebody sits here and says, you know what, 
I help control your budget and you should really pick person X. If you're on the search committee, you're supposed to tell the chairman of the search committee that someone's approached you about this. They tell the chairman of the board and uh, that's dealt with. So the idea is that you know, you're not supposed to be given that influence uh, or, or, or been trying to be influenced by someone else in, in this whole process. And so they've, they've put that in writing. And if you don't, by the way, tell them, hey, somebody came up to me and really wanted person X to be in this job, you're off the uh, search committee. They've only really, at this point, uh, the, at the taping of this podcast, have had their only one meeting, the initial meeting. Uh, there's actually a second one planned for the day after we're, we're, um, we are uh, recording this podcast. And they're just beginning the, the work on uh, deciding on a search firm. And that's going to be the first uh, the first major step. In the meantime, they're, they're trying to listen to all the stakeholders who uh, want to have a say about what they think the new president should be like, what kind of skill sets and experience that that person should have. Are there any notable names circulating as possibilities for becoming the next president? The only name that's come up so far is Mick Mulvaney, the uh, former South Carolina congressman and chief of staff for the, at the White House under President Trump. Uh, Mick uh, was uh, was interested in the job in 2019. This was when he was the White House budget director, but he got the promotion to chief of staff while the search was going on, uh, and all of a sudden his name kind of disappeared after that. I think based on the Caslin situation, I think there's going to be a lot of skepticism about an, an academic outsider like a Mick Mulvaney being considered maybe seriously for the job, but at the same time, how can you discount um, someone like Mick Mulvaney, who, who has been in the State House, has been in the Capitol, has been in the White House, has a lot of contacts. So I can imagine there's going to be some advocates for him out there. Uh, and they will also say that there are several colleges that have non-traditional presidents. Mitch Daniels in, in, at Purdue, who was a, who was a you know, former governor and, and a federal lawmaker, you know, uh, and also a former White House budget chief uh, is, is you know, running a major university. So, you know, that said, I, I think uh, it's fairly early in the process. I think there are going to be a lot of names from the past that have been, that are going to come up, such as Michael Amorides, who was the provost under Harris Pastides, who's now at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and a few others. Uh, but I think, uh, I think trying to have an open mind this time around and not pick a, a favorite like they did with Caslin. This is... A big job in in South Carolina, right? I mean, with the size of the university, it's an influential position. It's, of course, one that at the Post and Career, we're going to be following closely who they select. So what are some of the things that you're looking out for as as a reporter as this process gets started, especially given what we saw last time? I think some of the questions that have been asked so far related to uh, making sure that there is diversity among the candidates as well as diversity on the search committee. I guess one thing of note would be that the two Black board members are on the search committee. There are also several women on the committee. This time they have also made more effort to bring faculty leadership onto the committee. They've expanded the faculty's representation and they have removed members of the alumni association and from and the foundation as voting members. They'll still have input as, uh, as secondary members, but they won't have a voting position. Uh, I think the other thing to pay attention to is that there are several large state universities that are in the search process right now. So there's a lot more competition out there for talent. Uh, that's something we'll be be watching as well. And again, we're kind of keeping an eye to see uh, which search firm 
they'll choose. Uh, there's only a couple out there in the ball game, and so that could be telling as well, depending on whether they stick with the vendor they've used in the past or uh, turn somewhere else. Being the, the, the president of the University of South Carolina, you're president of the largest university in the state. Eight campuses, 50,000 plus students, uh, a budget of, um, of more than a billion dollars. I mean, whoever that person is, is one of the, you know, top two, three, one, two, three, four influential people in the state. You know, the governor, the speaker of the House, the president of the Senate, you know, the president of Clemson. You can probably name a few others, but but that's that's just a, a pretty big role. And of course, let alone, you know, all these students and all the obviously 10,000 faculty and staff, you know, that, that you know, you're talking about a, a school that that participates in the most prominent um, athletic conference in the in the uh in the country in the Southeastern Conference. So, you know, the Gamecocks play, um, you know, every Saturday uh, to a large audience on television, let alone obviously at whatever stadium they're at. It not only requires, you know, the, the understanding of how a university works, but again, but it's also part of that PR job that I talked about earlier, where you have to get win over potential students, you have donors, uh, these soft skills that really were a challenge for, for Bob Caslin. I, I think if I had to expect who's going to be the next president, it'll be probably somebody more along the lines of a, of a, of a Harris Pastides this time around, just because I think uh, lessons learned from the last one. And, it, and if it's not uh, Harris Pastides, it's going to be somebody who has those skills, uh, again, to uh, impress all the uh, stakeholders you have to impress. What are some of the challenges that the university is facing that Pastides will need to address in the next year or, you know, this this incoming next president will face once they're named? There are a number of major building projects and expenses that will be coming up over the next year. They are seeking to build a new medical school. They are, have also just broken ground on a major student housing project on the south end of campus. Then one of the challenges that came up during the, the COVID crisis was that the athletic department was not bringing in the money that it's used to. So now for the first time, the school is finding itself having to, to loan the athletic department money to get through in the meantime. And another thing that will be playing out over the next year is uh, the possibility of renaming several buildings on campus, notably the Student Wellness Center, named after former Senator Strom Thurmond, has garnered a lot of attention. Uh, a committee was formed to review the names of 14 different buildings and sites around campus that uh, were named after people with a racially troubled past or some other controversy in their past that uh, are being reviewed now. And ultimately, that's going to land on the president's desk before being sent to the board of trustees goes through that hurdle, then um, you've got someone who has to lead the charge at the state house because ultimately lawmakers will have to approve any of these changes, something they haven't shown an appetite to do in the past. All right, listeners, that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. For more news from our Columbia Bureau, visit our Post and Courier Columbia homepage, which we will link in today's show notes. As always, if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for this podcast, you can email us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or find us on Twitter at UnderstandSC. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. 
You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see y'all next week.